Hey folks, my name is Johnny Artavanis and this is Dial In. In this episode, I pick up where I left off in our previous one as we conduct a study on the nature, function, and mission of the local church. And within that stated purpose and theme, we are looking specifically, last episode and in this one, at your part, if you're a Christian, in the body of Christ. Church is not something you merely attend. The church is something that you belong to because Jesus Christ not only saved you into a personal relationship with him, but into a corporate one amongst the body of Christ. Now, in our previous episode, we examined the first two of the four great responsibilities that you and I have to the church. Those were, number one, that we are to lay down our lives on the altar of sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, that he beseeches us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. God is not telling you to make sacrifices if you're a Christian. He is calling you to be a living, holy, embodied sacrifice. Secondly, we looked at the reality that we are to humble our heart. That is one of our responsibilities to the church. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 3, that pride is chaotic. It's destructive, or we're not to have an opinion of ourselves that is higher than it should be. And when we function as living sacrifices, we're not trying at the same time to salvage our own ego. The gospel empowers us to forget about ourselves, and once we forget about ourselves, we are freed to serve with joy. Now in this episode, I want to look at the third and fourth responsibility that you and I as believers have to the bride of Christ, and that is to understand our identity as a member of the family of God, number three. And then number four, we are to understand our part in stewarding the spiritual gift that has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. Without further ado, let's dial in. Now, if you have your Bibles in front of you, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We've already examined the first three verses that we are to lay down our lives and to humble our hearts. And now we come to the third great responsibility that you and I have in the local church. And that is, number three, to understand our identity. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse four, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, he's just meaning, hey, just as you have arms and legs and fingers and eyes, that's all part of one body. Paul then says in Romans 12, five, so we who are many, that's the people of God, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, if you're trying to understand your identity in Christ, you cannot get much simpler than this. You are the father's child and you are a member of Christ's body. The church is also called the household of God. And because God is your father, you are a member of his house, which is the church. It's easy to lose sight of this and it may need clarification but you need to understand this, that the relationship that you and I enjoy with Jesus Christ is not merely vertical. It is also horizontal. Think with me. If I am joined to Jesus Christ and you are joined to Jesus Christ, what does that say about the relationship between you and I? It means that we have a supernatural union amongst ourselves. You don't belong to you. You belong to me and belong to us in the family of God. I don't belong to me. I belong to you. And when you fail to see that not only is your life a sacrifice dedicated unto the Lord, but also a life that is dedicated unto each other, you end up keeping yourself back from other members of the body. And in turn, you end up robbing yourself because the happiest people on earth are those who live to serve others. 
we are looking at our identity as a member of the body of Christ. Now, we have to ask the question, now, why is there something heavenly about the church? Why is there something so unique about the body of Christ? Well, it's very simple. The people in the local church do not live for themselves. They belong to each other and they serve each other. Maybe you have been wounded in the past and are hesitant to plug in and serve at your local congregation because you don't want to make yourself vulnerable once more. You want to keep your heart intact. Well, in this regard, C.S. Lewis once said in his book, The Four Loves, quote, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place, he says, outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Wow. Every church is an assembly of people full of imperfections. And yet the church is the most beautiful thing in the world because you listening and I speaking go to the church and not only belong to Christ, but I belong to the other members of the congregation. I belong, we all belong to each other. And as we sacrifice our lives and humble our hearts and understand our identity, it is only then that we can understand our fourth great responsibility to the church, and that is to do your part. That is to steward your gift. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. In the church, there are a bunch of people in a room, depending on the size of your church, but not one of them are alike in regards to their spiritual gifting. That is not to say that no two people in a room share the gift of mercy, but it is to say that every Christian is a spiritual snowflake in regards to the unique combination of their gifts. Paul, as he's going to go on in Romans 12, is going to list seven spiritual gifts. And the list that he gives of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine gifts. In Ephesians 4, when he talks about spiritual gifting, there are five gifts. Therefore, these gifts that he lists are not exhaustive, but they are examples of the different type of gifting within the Holy Church that is given to believers by the Holy Spirit. Paul looks at the first of the seven gifts in Romans 12 by saying, if prophecy according to the proportion of our faith. So the first gift that Paul talks about is the gift of prophecy. We might look at this as predicting the future, but we believe, I believe, that the gift of prophecy in that sense was reserved for the apostolic age. So here the gift of prophecy does not mean foretelling. It fundamentally means communicating the word of God. The Greek word is prophteo. And in 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says, he that prophesies, that's prophteo, listen, it says, speaks unto men. So the gift of prophecy in this sense is the gift of preaching. In the same passage, Paul will then go on to talk about the gift of teaching. So then maybe you're wondering, what is the gift of prophteo or what's the difference between prophteo, which is preaching, and the gift of teaching? While teaching is the didactic conveying of systematic truth, preaching amounts to the convincing, compelling, and heralding of the truth. Preaching is not merely informational nor instructional. It is done in the third person where someone is directing it towards you. 
It's not just that preachers use a louder voice than teachers. It's that there is a differentiated goal in mind and often a differentiated gift from the Holy Spirit, although some may have the gift of both teaching and preaching. I remember when I was a boy, my dad once asked me, Johnny, what is the one word goal of preaching? I don't know, I said, Jesus. And my dad looked at me and said, no, persuasion. The Greek word patho is used 52 times in the New Testament, and it means to persuade. And in this discussion regarding our spiritual gift and the gift of prophecy, which we are relating to the gift of preaching, we are talking about someone who is walking through the word of God and persuading someone of its truth. And this is different than teaching. A young man once asked Martin Lloyd-Jones, what is the difference between preaching and teaching? And Lloyd-Jones responded and said, young man, if you have to ask me the difference between teaching and preaching, it is obvious that you have never heard preaching because if you've heard it, you would know the difference. Now, if I was to summarize the difference between teaching and preaching, I would provide the following example. Teachers would say, quote, Jesus Christ is the reconciler of lost sinners to God, end quote. That would be differentiated in my mind than preaching, which would take that same truth and yet put it this way. Young man, young woman, you need to be reconciled to God. Can you bear to live another moment in your sin? Be reconciled to God. He died for you. This is not manipulation. This is biblical persuasion. So the first gift there is the gift of prophecy, which we are relating to the gift of preaching. The second one is serving. Paul says, if anyone serves in his service, this word for service is the same word from which we get the word deacons, those who serve and take care of orphans and widows, and they help lead and manage ministries. So this is the second gift listed in Romans 12. You cannot have a healthy church without a group of people that are dedicated to serving. It's the same gift as the gift of helps in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It means to support, but it's not just helpers and supporters. The word comes from a Greek word that was also used for someone who would pilot a ship. To serve here also means to steer, to direct, to manage, and to lead various ministries within the church. A deacon is someone that is a servant leader. And without such individuals, no church can thrive. Paul then will go on to talk about the third spiritual gift in Romans 12 in verse 7b. He says, he who teaches in his teaching. This is the Greek word didasko. And this is walking someone from point A to point B in scripture, showing them the multiple themes and yet the overarching grand story of scripture. Sometimes this takes place in the congregation or in front of the congregation. Sometimes it takes place in front of a group of men, sometimes a group of kids, and sometimes in front of a single person at a coffee shop, teaching them didactically, systematically the word of God and instructing them towards an increased understanding of God in his word. One of the realities that we examined formerly is that elders are to be didactos, which means skilled and didactic, skilled in teaching. And this is the ability to examine, systematize, and pass on the truth of God's word. The fourth gift that Paul lists in Romans 12 in verse eight is the gift of exhortation. Paul says, he who exhorts in his exhortation. Someone that possesses this gift has the ability to press the conformity of our lives to the word of God. This is a gift that someone comes alongside you. And I want you to imagine, he says, 
Press on, brother. How is your time in the word of God? Where are you serving? Where do you want to plug in? I remember I had a small group leader when I was 13 years old. He was 21 at the time. And he came up to me and asked, Johnny, where are you serving in the body of Christ? And I was like, man, I'm 13. Uh, My gift is to make sure no donuts go to waste. But then he pressed and prodded me to serve. And that week I bought a guitar at Costco. And the next week we played four songs in youth group with the four chords that he had taught me during the week. That is because he was an exhorter. He was prodding and pushing me to serve. Now the fifth gift that Paul lists in Romans 12 is the gift of giving. Paul says, he who gives with liberality. Here's the reality. Churches cannot accomplish what they are called to accomplish without everyone giving. And here's something you also need to understand. Nowhere in the New Testament is there a command to tithe. A tithe in the Old Testament was a part of the civil system. The average Israelite would give 23% in tithes. In the New Testament, God doesn't say that 10% of your money belongs to him. He says that your whole life, your whole body, your whole wallet, it all belongs to him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses six and seven. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. You see that? Not under compulsion. Why? Because God loves, it says, a cheerful giver. And in the rest of those two chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul relays that gift is an act of worship. It is the overflow of a heart of gratitude for all that God has done. In some ways, you do get to choose how much you give, but biblically speaking, the proportion of what you give reveals the level of gratitude. And in 2 Corinthians 9, it determines the extent of your reward, both in this life and in the next. God's word says that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And then Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 9.10 that God replenishes generosity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Giving is not the responsibility of the few. It is the privilege and joy of all those who have sacrificed their lives to Jesus Christ. Giving is the response of faith, but it is also the test of faith because when we give, we are forced to ask, will God continue to provide for my needs as I give what he has given to me back to him? Remember, nothing you have belongs to you. It belongs to Christ. And if you have been crucified with Christ, you won't view your money as if it belongs to you. The world begs you to ask, how much of my money can I keep? But the believer asks, how much of my money can I give away? Now, Paul is going to detail for us that there are some people who are particularly gifted in giving. This does not discredit everyone from giving, but it is to say that there are certain people in the church who are inclined towards and burdened to give over and above what the Lord desires. This can also be a relative number, meaning this giving might be defined by dozens of dollars or by millions of dollars. What matters is that God looks at the heart. Now, the sixth gift that Paul talks about in Romans 12 is the gift of leadership. And Paul says that he who leads is to do so, in verse 8, with diligence. This is the Greek word proistime. It is someone who governs, someone who leads, someone who oversees. If someone has the gift of leadership, they are to do so with diligence. I think one of the pitfalls of leaders is that they are susceptible to being lazy. And in a healthy church, there will be dozens of gifted leaders 
So often we confuse and conflate leadership with position, but Jesus shows us that leaders are those who wash the feet of others. If you think you are destined for leadership, then know that you are destined for servanthood and hard work. Usually when the New Testament speaks of leadership, it almost always means someone who is prepared to take responsibility, to rise to the occasion, not someone who thinks they are destined for position. It means that you are willing to bear burdens. Paul was a great leader, but he shows us what leadership looks like in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourself, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So often there is a schnobbery of spiritual gifting. Oh, I have XYZ gifting. So if it isn't exercised in XYZ way, as I have done before, it's not worthy of my time. I've played in the big leagues. Therefore, I will not subject myself to playing t-ball. Other people may blame the church for not recognizing or using their gifts. They say things like, my gift is teaching or my gift is leading. And what they mean by that is that their gift is teaching or leading the largest group of people you can put in front of them or that will listen to them. But here's something you need to distinguish. Looking for an opportunity to serve is different than looking for an opportunity for people to admire you. Do you think you're a gifted leader? Well, I got some ideas for you. Start a Bible reading movement. Imagine if the kids and the children in your church developed a new love for scripture. Lead that way and serve that way and find a need and begin to meet it. Number seven, the seventh gift Paul says is the gift of mercy. And he says in verse eight, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Churches cannot succeed without people that have the gift of mercy and it is to be dispensed cheerfully. Now, here's kind of what I want you to keep in mind as we've talked through seven gifts at this point. I don't want you to try to get locked into one gift, meaning that you're in one category or you may be in another category and you're trying to figure out which of these buckets you belong to. Now, maybe you're asking the question, and it's a good question, how do I know my gifting? Well, let me give you an example. Discovering that God has given you the gift of mercy does not come in a mystical ceremony while you are sitting in your bedroom twiddling your thumbs. It is discovered as you see someone who is hurting and suffering and in pain and in sin, and you recognize that they need the love and mercy of Christ. Discovering that you have the gift of giving similarly doesn't come mystically, but as you see or hear of an area of need and feel that God can use you to meet that need, Discovering that you have the gift of leadership does not come to you while you are sitting in your room. It comes as you are exposed to an opportunity that needs someone to drive it, a, a need where there needs to be a leader, a servant, and you're willing to serve. So how do you know your spiritual gift? Well, so often you see a need and meet it. There is a rhythm in Romans 12, go and serve, see a need and meet a need, see a need and meet a need, go and do it. And as we look at the scripture, most of our cherished assumptions about the structure of the church disintegrate when we hold up our views to the word of God. It's not my job to build the church. It's not your pastor's job to build the church. It's not your elder's job to build the church. It is yours to be a part of the living organism that is the body of Christ. I would not get so concerned about labeling your gifting. We are all diverse in a combination of various gifts. Now, let's ask the question as we begin to land the plane. What happens when you don't use your gift? 
Well, think with me. The Bible says that each part and each member of the body of Christ is an integral member. So think about it. Go try to shake a hand without a hand. Go try to lift something without a shoulder. Try to walk without a knee or see something without eyes. This is the analogy that the Bible gives. How can the head look at the foot and say the foot is not necessary? Every single part of the body is necessary. And likewise, you, with your unique combination of spiritual gifting, is a necessary part of your local body. You have a critical and crucial part to play. Now, I want to just wrap up by saying that there's a fifth responsibility here, and it's that we know the goal. If you've been listening over the last two episodes, we've talked about the five responsibilities or four responsibilities to the church. And I said it was, number one, that we are to lay down our lives on the altar. Secondly, we are to humble our hearts. We started this episode by understanding our identity as a member of the body of Christ. You don't just belong to Jesus. You belong to those whom Jesus has bought with his blood. You belong to the family of God. And then number four, we said that you're to do your part. You're to recognize that you have a spiritual gift and you are to employ that spiritual gift in the service of the body of Christ, your local body. And if there's a fifth responsibility, it is to know the goal. Why do we serve? Why are we a part of the church? What is the goal? And the goal is stated very clearly in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13. It says this, and he, that's Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And here's the goal, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So what's the goal of anybody who uses their spiritual gift and dives deeply into the local church? Well, the goal is the building up of the body so that they all reach maturity in Christ. The goal of exercising your gift is so that you, through the exercising of your gifts, can convey to someone else in the body, you matter to me because you matter to God. And God's desire and will for your life is that you are conformed into his image. The goal of using our gifts and understanding our part in the body of Christ is not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of others and to build them up so that they look like Jesus. The purpose of your gifts is not so you would be seen, but so that others might be edified. Romans 15, 14 says, says that we are to instruct one another. Hebrews 3, 13 says that we are all to be able to exhort one another. Hebrews 10, 24 says that we are to stir one another up for love and good deeds. We don't live for ourselves if you're a Christian. We live for each other. Can I ask you, Christian, what are the needs in your local body? And what are you doing to help meet those needs? Have you discerned your spiritual gift? And are you stewarding that gift? Are you on the sidelines or are you in the game? Are you serving in the trenches with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you laid down your life? Do you know the goal of the church, which is the glory of God and the edification of the believers within your church body? I pray you have. Until next time, stay dialed in.